I know many of you are asking yourselves, what is JP Incorporated? The answer might surprise you. It's top-notch products, high-quality items, service that speaks for itself. It's a family brand, an entertainment brand, a brand your friends can trust, and so much more. Yes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Houseless Podcast. My name is Peter Agostin. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. We have a great episode today with my friend, my dear friend, JP Incorporated. JP Inc., JP Hassan, and uh, Seattle native, now based in LA, but we recorded this in New York City. Yes, in Times Square at that. He's on tour with Tim and Eric uh, as they uh, crisscross North America on the Tim and Eric 10-year anniversary tour. You can see the tour dates at timanderic.com. JP, though, I've known for a long time, and you may know him too as a performer, uh, first and foremost, originally as Plesiosaur, uh, the Seattle, first it was a trio, then a duo, and then it emerged into JP Incorporated, and I've worked with him as his agent for years, um, but I do want to send a special shout out to Michelle Cable from Panache uh, Magazine, aka Panache Booking, who back when I lived in Humboldt County, California, in Arcata, um, JP used to come and, and did a lot of shows. And that's how I was introduced to his music. And that's how we met each other. It was really through shows um, in the Humboldt area in the late 90s, early 2000s. And he's been touring a lot. But he also, most recently, in recent years, uh, works as a tour manager and as a production manager, a tour producer for the likes of Tim and Eric, uh, as well as Eric Andre, uh, Dimitri Martin. He's done some stuff with Jed, uh, Judd Apatow, rather. Um, there's another, uh, if, you, if you're hip to this group, Ninja Sex Party, uh, JP works with them as well. So I caught him the day after a uh, show of Tim and Eric at the Town Hall in New York City. And we talk about his beginnings as Plesiosaur uh, and how it, it kind of evolved to where he is today. And it was great. It was a good conversation. Um, I love the guy. I've known him for a long time. He's one of the kindest, uh, realist kind of people I know in music. And we've done a lot of stuff together. We did a tour with Devo years back. And um, he's also just a brilliant comedic writer in mind, who I don't think gets the proper due. Um, but it's interesting how his career has sort of evolved into sort of working behind the scenes, too. Anyway... We're going to get into this in one moment. Before that, I want to uh, pay some dues for the podcast for the sake of the house list. Yes, it's my weekly podcast. My name is Peter Agostin. You can sub subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud, it's on Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. So you can find it in many different ways, in a myriad of ways, in fact. And I implore you to... Uh, get the word out spread the word if you're on soundcloud hit that repost button um if you whatever medium you choose to listen to it feel free to copy and paste it and send it to a friend be like remember plesiosaur remember when we saw him at the vista in eureka california in 1999 yes of course 
Well, hey, check this out. He was on the house list with Peter Augustin, a.k.a. Thanksgiving Brown. Um, what a great conversation they had. Check it out. Uh, yeah, so with that being said, I just want to get the word out. This is something I do, self-produced, edited by C.J. Stewart um, in Humboldt. And um, yeah, let's get the word out. And without further ado, let's check out my conversation with the one and only JP Incorporated. So I was at your show last night, at the show that you guys are doing, mm-hmm. and I was kind of thinking um, how how it sort of contrasts, um, so it's like Tim and Eric's like 10-year anniversary, mm-hmm. and I was thinking so much about your work, like the work that you were doing, both when we were sort of doing tours together, but even really when I first met you mm-hmm. in Humboldt, mm-hmm. and... Uh, in a, a long time ago. Yeah, it was. I know. It it doesn't I guess it doesn't really feel like it, but if you start thinking about everything that happens in between, I you mean, know, it was that was that was probably 18, 19 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I guess that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um yeah, it's 2000 pretty much. Yeah, I mean I think I played in Humboldt for the first time in Eureka was probably early 1999. Wow. Yeah. Were you booking all your own were you working as your own booking agent at the time? Yeah, I was I had um I had been living in Philadelphia and oh. I uh, I was there for like a year and a half. Oh, okay. And I didn't um, that. what's that? I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's when I was. I had was doing. A, I was in a band with um, one of the guys from the Dead Milkmen. Yeah. And uh, then, kind of when that band ceased, mm-hmm. I moved back to Seattle, where I'm from. Right. And I got um, sort of a glorified internship at Polygram. Oh, really? And. Uh, was doing like kind of like concert marketing. I was like meet and greet rep mm. for Mercury Records, Def Jam, Island. Out off, of Seattle? Out of for the Seattle off for like the Northwest office. Oh, so when they were coming through the area. So any act that was coming through the area, I was I would be the label rep. Wow. And so <laughs> my first assignment was Kiss. Uh-huh. The, Kiss <laughs> the first Kiss reunion tour of 1990 seven I think wow and 96 or 97 and um so I had and I was barely being paid and so I thought that they owed it to me to allow me to um I, I essentially would call people from the office and say I was from Mercury Records and uh-huh. I would say I have this hot new act <laughs> called uh-huh. Plesiosaur and nice. they need a show and I booked myself a US tour wow in 1997 and I mean it was a it was a mess it was just like you know no it was like $50 guarantees whatever right we were just having fun and just off the landline from the office off the landline from the office and I was like I had a, their pole star and I was nice man I just did it yeah. And I was cold calling people, you know. So wait, what was the band in Philadelphia? Because had you guys been playing shows there? You obviously like probably had a, some sort of prowess to playing 
Yeah. So, so, so uh, th- that that story is I um, I was obsessed with the dead milkman mm-hmm. as a kid. My friends that right. I grew up with in Washington State, we were all like obsessed with them, and they toured through Seattle yeah. in nineteen ninety one, and um, I they were doing a, a, an on air performance at a radio station mm-hmm. prior to their show. And uh, it was a radio station called The End. It was like a commercial station. The End. The yeah. End, 107.7. And it was, the DJ was this guy, Marco Collins, mm-hmm. who wound up, he broke Nirvana and Beck and Pearl Jam uh-huh. and like mm-hmm. very influential guy. And in the, the, he was like the Dick Clark of, you know, sort of alternative grunge music shit. So... We, in the early days of that station, my friends and I would, we would call in late at night and he would let us play our songs like over the air live. Like over the phone? Like over the phone. Wow. Like, we were in my bedroom <laughs> and we'd like play our songs. Oh, like not like holding up to a tape deck. No, we were like that. playing our songs. <laughs> we didn't have any recordings. That's awesome. So wow. anyway, I, you know, he thought we were like these silly dorky kids from the woods, which we were. And so anyway... Long story short, the the dead milkmen were coming through, and we knew they were going to be on Marco's show. And we went into the city, took the ferry boat, went into the city, just like kept buzzing the 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 door buzzer of the radio station. Wait, you took the boat? So what are you living on Orcas Island or something like that? Uh, or? South of Orcas Island, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I grew up in um, a little teeny town called Indianola, um, oh. which is like a maybe a thousand people cool my brother lived on Orcas Island okay for like a year or two yeah so it's not part of the San Juans but it was on the Kitsap Peninsula cool interesting um, so you take the ferry to downtown we walked up to the radio station kept buzzing the buzzer and um, finally somebody just they didn't ask who we were they just buzzed us in and we went up (sighs) and like we're knocking on the fucking door of the radio station and they let us in and we were the, they let us be the on-air audience for oh, the wow. open. And mm. so we met them and like shot the shit and um, then went to the show that night. And after the show, I went up to the guitar player, Joe, and I said, you know, and I was 15. And I was like, I wrote you guys a letter to your fan club, but I never got anything like I yeah. never got a newsletter or anything. Right. And he's like, oh, whatever. I, you know, he's like, I'll send you a postcard. Like, give me your address. <laughs> and I didn't think I'd ever hear from him. Right. Of course. Yeah. And a week later, I get this postcard, and we became pen pals. He was like, he was pen pals with a bunch of, bunch of folks like during his main touring years. Yeah. And so he sent it from the road. He sent it from the road. He sent it from like California or something. Wow. And. Of course, I took that and just ran with it. And we like were sending letters all the time back and forth. And at that time, I had started making these um, sort of improvised musical comedy records in my garage with my friend Ben. And mm-hmm. uh, that was those were the first Plesiosaur albums. Was it? Were you calling it that? It was called Plesiosaur. Uh huh. Yeah. So um, the. Uh, I would send them to the band, to the Dead Milkman, and they'd be like, this is fucked. This is, like, so weird. (laughs) Um, And so over the course of some correspondence and, like, sort of talking about doing something together, um, 
I they invited me or Joe invited me out for a summer um, in 1994, and he and I did a record together, a duo called so. We're Not From Idaho. Oh, wow. And um, so that was between my junior and senior year of high school. That's amazing. And Yeah, it was like uh, my parents let me go. What know? was it? Where'd you record it? Like in the... At his record? house, like cool. in their rehearsal place. It's like a four-track style? or Totally four-track, Tascam, yeah. 488 or whatever it was. And... Wow. Um, Awesome. Uh, straight to cassette, four track, and um, it was for him. I don't know. It was probably just like something to do for a couple of weeks. Yeah. For me, it was everything. You know. Yeah. And so um, we did that, and you know, it was just like a, t- a tape we made. Yeah. Um, and but it was a really fun collaboration, and then I came back, finished my last year of high school. And throughout that year, uh, he had a side project called Touch Me Zoo, mm. with um, uh, which was a, also a do another duo he had, and it he wanted to expand it to be a full band. Uh-huh. So they got a drummer. They invited me to move out there and be the bass player, and I did it. I moved out there like two weeks after I graduated high school. Wow! So. Um, and we toured a little bit and did some, you know, did a lot of shows and opened for like some really great bands. And you came to New York, I would assume, played yeah. in New York. Mm-hmm. What were the venues? Do you remember where you played? This is what ninety six or ninety five. This was ninety five, ninety six. So our first show was at the Trocadero in Philadelphia. Cool. Yeah, opening for the Rentals. Wow. You remember the Rentals? Of course. Yeah. Um, and. You know, that That's was awesome. Like, that was, yeah, it was like we were, first show we were playing in front of a thousand people. Right. And that was, for me, that was incredible, you know. That is pretty incredible considering that, like, you would go, you've been, you've toured a lot since then. Like, yes. So that was really the first, um, the first real authentic wave of, like, actually doing shows where yeah. there were people. Right. <laughs> so it's a, definitely a little different when you go you go back out on your own as Please Your Store, obviously. Yeah, so then I'm, you know, the, um, we were all really young and, you know, the band kind of fizzled and uh, I moved back to Seattle and um, decided to do Please Your Store in earnest. And that's when I worked at Mercury and schemed my way through booking a tour so how long did how long did the label job then last for because when you I started there a couple years yeah oh cool yeah yeah, yeah amazing um so and then, i worked with like i worked with kiss and bon jovi and like uh fucking wilson phillips and like all the so it was it was really interesting because i was i, I really wanted to immerse myself and learn as much as i could right so that i could be armed because i knew that what i was doing was so stupid and so just like i needed as much information and data in order to make it work or to even get booked right i mean i mean to apply it to your own thing because exactly like 90s major label rock everything commercial radio totally like you know there's probably a lot of money being spent on yeah and I wasn't doing it for delusions of getting like a record deal right right I just wanted to um, 
I just wanted to be educated on on that and I, I never went to college um, so like this whole thing was my schooling yeah you know um, so how did yeah so then going stepping into plesiosaur I mean how do you uh, what was that experience going that first tour I mean you uh, you, you clearly were your own TM then well yeah I mean the, the first tour was was three people in an Acura uh-huh. and we were just like driving around right and there were shows um, you know like I had friends in various places and they would sure. come and but the first show I ever did in San Francisco um, I got a show at the Hotel Utah mm, right and remember that spot it was um, you know like at least I got a show booked like, yeah it's an important first uh, step totally and I, the deal was I got 100% of the door okay. it's a $5 cover and one guy showed up his name was Salad <laughs> I will uh, never forget it his name was Salad Von Baco <laughs> and he was um, he learned about plesiosaur through the dead milkman just like through message boards and stuff wow and he showed up and I got paid five dollars that night and then as we were leaving there was a bum outside and we gave him five dollars <laughs> <laughs> and nice. then we like slept in slept in the car in like Pismo Beach or something <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> those those were the days for sure. Yeah. Sleeping in the car. Yeah, I did some of that. Um, and you have to. I mean, it was. Well, yeah. I mean, you have zero dollars. You have literally. We had literally zero dollars. And you, this is before. I mean, you probably I saved up. Like this is when you used to have to like you have to save up in order to go on tour. Sure. You know. Yeah, you work a job and you save up and then you go on tour and then you go back to your job and totally. You know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and it's maybe before you really had established any history with with like promoters. There was, there was and, no fan base. That right. was like yeah. Was what was the music? Because it was uh, the first CD or the first release was um, the beef beef flavored island. The f- the first one was um, it was called As Seen on TV. Oh right, yeah. And that was the that yellow was, cover. No, that was the one. It came inside of. The a furry, uh, um, the uh, white fur, like, uh-huh. and then inside the spine of the CD, it had these calcium capsules. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I don't have that yeah, one. Yeah, it was really, it was weird. Wow, uh, it was a beautiful package. It had like vellum, and it like there was this all this layering to it. You did it all too, right? Um, me that that one, uh, I did the art, but the the sort of design layout was myself and this guy Ben right yeah so he was the that was the guy that was rolling with you for those kind of first no that was Tommy oh wow okay so yeah and but Tommy was in that first tour it was me Ben and Tommy yeah 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 because that's that's when I first saw you was when I think it was just more it was had it was this maybe the second kind of out yeah because that first tour was was me on stage, and it was, and I just brought them as friends to like hang out. We we're yeah. like going on a road trip, um, and it was me on stage in an e- black and silver Evil Knievel jumpsuit uh-huh. um, with a DAT machine. <laughs> really? Yeah. No screen, no visual component, nothing. Just wow. like me singing songs with a DAT with a to a DAT. That's 
It was pro. It was like pro gear. Yeah, see, you, that's a that's a great um, uh, tidbit you learned from the, the major label. Had world. XLR outs. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, because the, the the stage shows had already evolved a little bit by the time I saw you play. Yeah, and so then um, after that, we my sort of group of friends had befriended this guy who was he was older than us. Uh, his name was Dale Travis, and he did. Um, he's like a mad scientist mm-hmm. artist guy and he did some stuff at bumper shoot in seattle called dr electric's house of shock okay and it was he built tesla coils oh wow okay and he built all the stuff for like manor astro man and cool um and we like became obsessed with this guy and sort of tracked him down and we used to hang out in his laboratory all the time Mm -hmm. which was down the street and just really, he really loved the concept of how stupid Plesiosaur was and how it was just like, essentially just like gibberish. Right. And um, it was really his idea to have two big screens and have overhead projectors. Really? Yeah. Okay. And um, he just, it was like a suggestion in passing. Right. And, but he, I have to give him credit for it because like... I wouldn't have thought of it, I don't think. And so we were showing, like, film strips and totally unrelated images. Oh, okay. And then slowly started, I started designing, like, actual pieces of art to go to correspond with what I was saying. Because, like, fuck, wouldn't that be helpful, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise it could be a little confusing. With it was others. so confusing. I don't know why anybody would, like, stay in the room while this thing was happening <laughs> right. it was so weird yeah because yeah i mean again like when i would when i that's what really got me when i first saw in humble what it was like it was the you had the overhead projectors mm-hmm. and the um and like the gels or you know the silhouettes and it's like it wasn't i don't know what you would call it i mean it was close to what uh, like a puppet show could kind of, would kind of be like, but there was there it was, was like a slideshow, yeah, a puppet slide show. show. It was an art, it was art, but it was like modular and right. morphing live, and you could you could use the um, you know the the focus uh, and the transparency, right. and like you could bring things into focus, yeah, and. That was a really neat. It was, and originally there were two people behind the screen. So it was right. Tommy and Ben. Okay, and yeah. they both did it at the same time, and I would get myself in and out of these costumes. Yeah, and um, oh yeah, because you even had the um, like you had the uh, the curtain, like this kind of silver sequ- curtain. Yeah, yeah, like glittery sequency. And and that was the, the idea is that I. I wanted to, I liked being in the world of kind of rock and roll, punk rock or right. whatever, but putting on a show that was so out of place and like, why would anybody see essentially like a Broadway, like a sh- really cheap Broadway musical <laughs> right. at a seafood restaurant in Eureka, California, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Opening for the bass player from the Melvins. Uh-huh. Was that the tour? Yeah, with Thrones. Nice. Yeah. At the Vista, I'm At guessing. At the Vista. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a great classic venue that was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense 
and even thinking at, about it now, there's there, there's no way you could have thought about the end you, that you could have invented the end point. Right. It was something that had to evolve. Oh, for sure. Well, it obviously, it, even at that point, it had evolved it from already, like, yeah, yeah, from nothing, right, and then to like barely anything, and then to actually something where um, it sort of there was a, a story arc, you know, th- throughout the show that was right. Like, well, the was, albums were kind of conceptual in a way too. They obviously. were very conceptual, yeah. So, were you like at, when you were at home? doing this like were you like how would you build out the actual show because it has to be pretty methodically like like put together by the time it's like really moving like maybe a year or two into it because for me again like I think I didn't see you play until 2000 or 2001 Mm -hmm. and and I'm I'm really trying to figure out the first time I saw you because I lived in Portland before I went to Humble so I know it was somewhere in between like yeah to the year 2000 I guess but um. well I remember I saw your name mm-hmm. when uh, we rolled into town to do a show in Eureka I would uh, play Eureka like two three times a year right yeah. you know <laughs> and um, it was yeah in that circuit it was a reliable place to play it was reliable you could play it and people would come yeah and they were nice mm-hmm. and Everybody was everybody was welcoming. Yeah, definitely. You know? it's, and it's very out of the way, you know. For if, if like, yeah, it's off the beaten path. Right, right, right. But it made sense. I mean, I lived in the Northwest, so if yeah. I wanted to play in San Francisco or um, L.A. or whatever, like, why not take an extra day and play in Eureka? Right. So, um, sure. Some bands did like Chico and Sacramento. Yeah, I played Eureka. Yeah, it's either you go off the five or the one hundred and one. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean there there was a scene that was that was really thriving. I think around that period mm-hmm. of time, especially for like for experimental music and rock bands and mm-hmm. sort of like in the world that you kind of came out of. Because there was a few other your contemporaries all did well in that town too. Sure, you know. Yeah, um, but, yeah. But did we meet at a show? Well, no. I remember coming through town and. Passing the uh, Red Lion Hotel uh-huh. on the 101 South lanes. Right, 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 right. And <laughs> seeing the marquee, and it said, all it said was DJ Thanksgiving Brown. <laughs> and right. I like stopped the fucking car and I was like, what is that? And whatever it is, I want to know about it. <laughs> That's hilarious. And. So when we got to the show, it was a show that Michelle from Panache uh-huh. put yeah. on, and you know to promote her magazine or whatever or whatever she was doing. Yeah, because the shows were really like yeah they were centered around like fundraisers for benefits for her magazine. Totally, <laughs> yeah, and which was cool. Like everybody had this like ulterior art project yeah. that they were trying to support. Definitely, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and please just sort of seemed to fit right into that. Scheme. Uh, you might as well have lived there because it was there was yeah. a lot of people that were connected with that yeah artistic kind of mania you know yeah but in this like kind of outsider art way of yeah. people who I don't really it seemed like people who were out didn't fit in in a oh, certain for sure. scene 
or one specific scene. Like they yeah. they they crossed they crossed over to yeah. Well, geographically they they fit they don't fit in like to totally. like any major market or yeah. major metropolitan area. And yeah, it's such a transient town, especially yeah. then too. It was this school, the university was much smaller too. So yeah. the people there, it was a lot of locals that were there that were going to the shows too. I mean, yeah. And when I moved there. I didn't know anybody, and it was it was definitely a trip, like kind of acclimating to that town because I went there for school, basically. I mean, I sort of stumbled into it, but yeah, and DJing, and uh, I don't, like, I'm trying to remember DJing at the at the Red Lion because it's like a motel and shit. You it's know? just it's like the biggest hotel in town, <laughs> right. but it's like not the best. No, not at all. They and had like a lounge, like a '70s lounge. like yeah. kind of smokers lounge. Totally. And I w- thought that that would be like a really interesting place to play. And I always wanted to try to play there, but I never made it happen. Yeah. There was also a Denny's that was doing shows. Yeah, I did there too. Yeah, I really, really wanted to play at the Denny's. Yeah, but that never worked out. In theory, they it sounded a lot cooler than what it was. I mean, they oh were, yeah, totally. <laughs> it would have worked. It would have been very cool for you to play there for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't always have the greatest experiences in those places. But, sure. I mean, you did play, like, the kind of historic venues of that time. The Vista, played the Alibi. The Vista. Um, Alibi did the, the one in Samoa. Yeah, well, the placebo. Um, did the oh, placebo. Did the... Yeah, the Samoan... Well, you did like my, the like... art center. Yeah, you did the big room, which is a rare, was yeah. a rare place to see shows. Because you did and my, a lot of people came. For sure. You did my last um, show I ever did there. In Humboldt, oh. right before I moved, where um, was that? It was the one. It was at Samoa. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay, I'm pretty certain because I, I remember the flyer because it was around that time that maybe we did the American Sheriff show, like right around that time. Yes, we doubled up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, which was amazing. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can talk about Humboldt forever. Um, but yeah, I'm just love to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, about those that time for Pleasy Store too because it was so unusual but it did like sort of fit into a kind of like a scene that was developing and like with sort of out there comedy stuff I mean mm-hmm. that's such like a kind of blase way to like frame it in a way but but it was early for that kind of thing right and so I think that's why there was a lot of people who hated it Oh, a lot for of people sure. who were like really resistant. Yeah, they were antagonized by like how zany it was yeah. and how like how nonsensical it was and Yeah. Um I mean it's the same with like Neil Hamburger. I mean Neil Hamburger started around that time too. I was like and, yeah. and his thing has evolved incredibly since the since totally. those since like the prank call thing you know and but it was i i found a lot of camaraderie in the, uh, i was fan i was a big fan of neil's records his early yeah. first two records and i i had this habit of tracking people down mm-hmm. and um kind of like how i was so proactive with joe from the milkman right right and i the 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 first guy I really tracked down was Buckethead. Oh shit! Right. Um, he was he was the kind of like yeah he was um, very reclusive. Yep. Very elusive. Yes. And hard. Did you? Nobody knew who he was. But but also such an interesting kind of facet of that sort of scene of like outsider of art, of, yeah, metal concept. Totally. You know, and I loved his record. Somebody made a, a compilation tape for me uh-huh. and. 
it put some songs on there and I was just obsessed with this one um, album he did for Sony Japan mm -hmm. and it was so crazy what, do you remember what it was called it's called it was I think it was called Giant Robot, but uh -huh. he also did like four albums called Giant Robot, uh -huh. so it's kind of hard to <laughs> yeah. figure out. But um, yeah, Buckethead. Wow. So yeah. I called for 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 about two years. I I found out who his attorney was. Okay, it was this guy Stan Diamond <laughs> in L.A. Of course, like it was such a classic L.A. like lawyer name, Stan Diamond. Oh yeah, and I called Stan Diamond's office once a month. And I was like. Here's who I am. I'm looking for Buckethead. Two years later, I am. It was like eight thirty in the morning. Phone rings. I wake up, and they're like, "Oh, hey, is JP there? This is Buckethead." <laughs> and I thought it was a friend, like pranking me. Sure. Right? And he finally called me back, and he's like, "I finally put two and two together. Somebody had put." some of my songs on a mix for him. Oh, wow. And he's like, I've heard that you do a crazy thing. And I was like, I, we need to do some shows together. And he, he hadn't really done any shows yet. Oh, wow. Really? Um, and so we, he had done some. He was in that band Praxis also uh -huh. with Bill Laswell yeah. and stuff with Bernie Worrell. And, Which is kind of of a different ilk in a way, right? Yeah, that was more like weird prog noise metal yeah. kind of thing right. but the buckethead entity itself was uh like to me it was a, it was like an art piece well yeah he had a kfc bucket on his head you know yeah but his too. first shows were like solo it was him with the dat machine playing guitar really and so it was i was like yeah let's we need to do this tour of like two one man shows mm -hmm. and it'll be real lean and mean and we're going to have a great time yeah, <laughs> and so I booked it. I booked us a West Coast tour, and it was like kind of shitty. Did you know, people people came. People were familiar with him. Oh yeah, people came. Yeah. Like I mean, we were getting maybe three hundred people a night. Not bad. And um, we played Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, L.A. Cool. And then we did, um, and we did some more extensive touring throughout the years. But, um, and then Neil Hamburger was the next one that I tracked down. I found him in Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah. How'd you find his music? Neil's? Yeah. Well, I, he... Or had, music, I mean... His, his albums. His, yes. Um, my roommate, the guy, Joey, that I grew up with, his dad has this massive record collection uh -huh. and was always buying new music and comedy and stuff yeah yeah and joey came home from hanging out with his dad one day and he's like you have to hear this record mm -hmm. and it was america's funny man his first nice. full-length album yeah and i was dying as it was um, incredible it blew my mind and i figured out who his like fake manager was uh -huh. and i emailed this person relentlessly and he finally wrote me back and um, I was like, you should do shows. And he's like, okay. Was he just a recording? He was just recording. He was just album. recording, and I think he had done a couple shows in Australia. Well, he comes from out of bands, though, too, right? I mean, he's a, he was a musician. Oh, yeah, he was in, like, crazy San Francisco scene. He was in a band, The Zip Code Rapist. He did stuff with, he used to tour manage for Mr. Bungle. 
Oh, amazing. He was Another great Humboldt connection. Totally. Yeah. Um, and Meat Puppets, like that whole thing. He toured with them for years. Yeah, amazing. And um, so we, our first show together was in, I think, 2000 in Bellingham. Nice. And in like a, the most disgusting place you've ever seen. <laughs> Perfect. And, and I remember seeing, I was really nervous to do a show with him. And I remember, there were like maybe 50 people there. Right. And I remember I was just like locked on him in the audience. And he had this look on his face the whole time. Like, like what is, what is this? <laughs> and I was bummed. I was like, oh, he's not liking it at all. And I want him to like it so much. Right, right, right. You know? And then after we, like, right after, between me and him, he was, like, getting ready. And he's like, that was insane. He's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm in love with that. And it just made my day. And, we, and he and I have become, he's, I would consider him to be, like, a family member now. Yeah, you guys are super close. Super close. You've done, now, you've done countless tours together. I yeah, mean, he and I have done, I mean, I would say maybe two three hundred shows together that's amazing so i'm such a fan of his performance i mean i feel like every time i see him it's like almost like the first time all over again and just yeah he's he's so i respect him because i mean for many reasons but he he's constantly doing new material yeah, which is about dated things. Yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. But he yeah. also he he peppers in his old stuff too. Yeah, but he, but he packages it in a different way. Right. Every time, and he his easements in and out of the material from new to old or concept to concept is like really interesting to me. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great way to frame that too. Yeah, because some of those bits uh, he's been doing for a while. Yeah, I mean, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Courtney like, Love, Courtney Love. Um, and they're they're just they they're never just get old. Fun. Yeah, yeah. They're just yeah. I mean the topical, you know, um, known Houston. As, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It's yeah, and just I have so much respect for anyone that can you know disengage from the crowd or antagonize an audience and be totally like impervious to it whatsoever. Like mm -hmm. there's something there's there's a great art in that too. Um, and yeah, I mean you guys, it's it's interesting because of. What you know, having just seen that the Tim, the Tim and Eric show last night, mm -hmm. and how that they obviously play, uh, they've obviously like influenced a lot of younger comedians, I guess, if you will, and write sketch writers and stuff like that. But it's it's they're part of that lineage too, without a doubt. That you guys were, I mean, coming maybe coming from regionally from different places, but um, yeah. I always feel like with Tim and I had some overlap we never knew each other uh -huh. but when I left Philadelphia he's from that area oh that's right um, he, I we deduced that he took over my job at this like shitty video college recruitment video distribution center really when I moved back to Seattle he took my job huh. and we figured that out at dinner like 10 years later Wow, and um, so huh. I okay. I always feel like um, we would have been friends if we grew up together. 
we were all cut from the same cloth. Like for sure. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, and and to me, that's why I get compared to them a lot. Um, and I mean, I doubt that they get compared to me because they're far more well known than I am. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the medium is like, as far as the performance goes and the way... It's all right there. Yeah. I yeah. mean, short form, um, parody, yeah. video, and music, yeah. like, yeah. engaged into one another. It's exactly the same genre. Totally. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that's why, like, because I was familiar with your work, you know, well before theirs. And... Really, because it sort of predates the internet, because it really comes from that touring, that punk uh, DIY, very West Coast style of like touring. So, in like with Plesiosaur and Neil Hamburger, and then like Wesley Willis and mm -hmm. Grand Buffet, mm -hmm. and but then there's like yeah stuff like um, like the more experimental shit. I mean, even like a Buckethead is such a great mm -hmm. like facet of that. Just outsider non-traditional mm -hmm. but touring in rock shitty rock dive bars mm -hmm. and stuff like that mm -hmm. and um that we weren't necessarily doing it because we wanted to sure you know i get that we all would have been playing like beautiful jewel box theaters if right. we could right but um that's just what we knew yeah and, the and what we had access to yeah it's access is everything yeah. too I mean, the fact that you can pull off, like, the, yeah, the slide projector with, like, a curtain and, like, countless costume changes, like, in a 45-minute set mm -hmm. in, like, a 150-capacity, like, mm -hmm. dive bar. And know. then pack it all in a minivan and move on. Yeah. You know, for relatively low cost. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, like, sleep on people's couches and floors and shit. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, it's in that same world. I mean, that's why I think it's so fascinating, too, because those... Watching, since it's a retrospective of what Tim and Eric are doing too, watching those old sketches, which, uh -huh. which there is some crossover uh -huh. from what you guys, what, what, when you were touring, especially as Plesiosaur turns into like JP Incorporated mm -hmm. too, it's, um, yeah, it's all the same to me. Because too, musically and conceptually, there's a lot of similarities, mm -hmm. like as far as like where the gags are at, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, in a way for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to find an interesting bridge into that too because because I guess really when how how does the plesiosaur thing turn into into uh, JP Incorporated? Cuz that's really we have like a second chapter of us knowing each other too cuz we got we started really working on booking shows together. Yeah. So I um I was touring so much as Plesiosaur. Yeah. Um, and I was touring, opening for much bigger bands. Right. And, um, and that was always the thing, was that people... Um, it wasn't very popular, but the right people liked it. Right. And wanted a crazy opening act. Right, right. And, um, and I was cheap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like... 500 bucks a night got it done sure you know what I mean <laughs> like that was a lot of money right and um, so I think uh, I was touring with the President's United States yeah that's right yeah Seattle band Seattle band and you know they had hits and they were still able this was mm -hmm. 2004 or 5 mm -hmm. they were still able to like 
you know, do tw- uh, 1,200, 1,500 people a night. Wow, yeah. And um, I played in New York with them, and a friend of a friend had s- knew somebody who um, was the president of Comedy Central Records and uh. sent this guy out. And he came up to me after the show, and he's like, what would it take to have you do a record for us? And in my mind, I was thinking, well, not much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I had... So he's like, let's talk in a few days. He's like, finish your this little leg of your tour, and let's hop on the phone. And um, So I wound up signing a deal with Comedy Central... They did a what wound up being kind of a, um, not like a greatest hits, but like it was a lot like all the old songs for Pleasy for Storm. Pleasy Storm. Right. I re-recorded them. I did. There was a DVD with it. Yeah. I made a cartoon, um, and I regret that I did it that way. Really? Why is that? Um, the because presentation of it or. I wasn't it wasn't ready mm-hmm. to be released and I didn't know any better right 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 and I rushed it and I am still I it still bothers me mm. you know why so, because the opportunity was there and you wanted to take advantage of it right or, yep yeah yep and I think I tried to do too much mm-hmm. in too little time mm-hmm. and it was a very ambitious project I mean we did a 30 minute fully animated cartoon right. with like 12 music videos that were all woven together and then I had to redo all these songs yeah that's a lot and um, and the animators were like fucking amazing overworked it was all the guys who did um, C-Lab wow. 2021 yeah. and now Archer oh amazing um, and I paid them barely anything I mean there was no money but they were all like the nicest people. Like I am eternally grateful for their work. Yeah, I'm sure they're still sleeping it off because, like, ugh, it was so, it was so such a grind. Right. But um, you know, like we had to cut some corners and like, whatever. Um, and it was a learning experience to like really. Uh, it was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. With what I thought were big stakes. You know what I mean? Like, it was my, essentially my big major label effort. Yeah, because before that, it was, it was these kind of totally small I either was, yeah, like, I was essentially self-releasing them. Because Imputer, that was just you, right? No, it was, it was uh, two other guys Uh from California. Uh And um, they just, they had, they were doing, like, weird electronic music. Right, right, right. uh, uh, But they had distribution, and they're like, do whatever you want. We'll distribute it. Right. We'll put our logo on there. But yeah, nevertheless, I mean, Comedy Central, um, especially Comedy Central Records at that time, they were putting out like you know big comedy. They albums. were winning Grammys. They yeah. were you know, and like the success of Dane Cook and right. all these big people um, allowed this guy to release the like really weird stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. I think most of the people there didn't like what I was doing um, because nobody had was doing anything like that. You know, this yeah. was it was before Tim and Eric's show. It was yeah. before, 
of the big wave of Adult Swim kind of stuff. Yeah, it predates that for sure. Um, and nobody, it, there was always this discussion of let's do this record, let's do this DVD, and we'll kind of keep it in the conversation as to maybe develop something mm-hmm. for television. Yeah, and yeah, I always thought it, that, that was like the it. Yeah. There was never any traction, right? Um, which is fine. Like I, I at one point wanted to have a TV show. I don't think I do anymore. Right, right. Um, so anyway, it was like probably their least successful release, mm-hmm. uh, and but that's fine. You know, that's yeah. okay. Well, then, <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine. I mean, you're still standing. I mean, yeah. And so they, and then the guy that I was I was touring with a lot. Um, he and I stopped working together right. at, at around that time, at, right shortly after that. And they, Comedy Central, came to me and said, well, we want you to do another record, but why don't you, why don't we blow this thing up? And I think you should try something totally new. Okay. And so uh, I, I did that. Like, and I, my, my dad was my main source of like support for, yeah. that, for that thing. My family, really. In advice and 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 my dad's messaging to me was always like, um, he's like, you're doing this thing that it, it had it had evolved into me coming up with things that I think people are gonna like. Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't I wasn't doing it just to do it. it wasn't a it wasn't a true expression anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when all the fucked up stuff was so good was when I was just like doing it sure of course like anything yeah and I started overthinking it and um so he's like you need to totally re redo this thing so I did it I called it I wanted to do something really generic and where I could really do anything I wanted at any time so I called it JP Incorporated Mm -hmm. just about as generic as it can be (laughs) yeah and I did a record for them and yeah for comedy central for comedy central yeah. i really liked it it was really fun to do it's funny and um thank you <laughs> and it was all these like fake tv theme songs yeah and um then started touring that did you play did you produce it all yeah you did yeah. all the instrumentation and all that i did uh i did most of it there mm-hmm. are some songs that were like locked up MIDI files that uh-huh. I found right. and like totally re redid. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like I would like I would find some some like Romanian home composers like mm-hmm. MIDI file mm-hmm. database. Right. And I would like take his shit work and dump it into my computer and then like move everything around. Yeah. Like and kind of re chop it up and resequence it or something or yeah but it wasn't like i would take like he would have like a neat progression right and i would take that and put it in another song right or, you know what i mean yeah so um it was really just to get the like midi data yeah yeah, yeah. it wasn't the notes themselves right really. yeah because there's some sense. pretty like i've listened to it very recently uh-huh. and there's some pretty interesting like you know, I guess this is telling of any of TV themes of the 70s and 80s, really, but like 
melodies and harmonies and stuff mm-hmm. that are like you know there's some really catchy songs on that record yeah that are like Absolutely. total brain worms oh big time um i mean billy hardwood is uh-huh. probably <laughs> um, that that one's pretty infectious and uh yeah um what, what else what do you recall from making that because they're all like similar to tim and eric they're all like less than a minute or about a minute yeah. and stuff like that they're short form short form um just silly just like there's really nothing there it's like yeah. not a tv show you'd want to watch um, right necessarily and uh-huh. um i but i had worked on it with this guy uh, Rob Crow, who's in the band Pinback. Right, right, right. And oh, yeah. he was always a real big champion of Plesiosaur in, um, when I would play in San Diego. Mm-hmm. He would always be there front row. He was just so into it. and But he would always complain. And I would Plesiosaur open for Pinback a lot. Right, right. Like having fucked up openers. Yeah. And um, that would antagonize their audiences. And then... Um, he, but he would always complain to me. He'd be like, your records, like, you need to make better records. And right. I can't hear your vocals, like, blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah, better produced records. Better produced right. records. Right. And he's like, when you do another record, can I please record it? At least produce, be the producer of the vocal sessions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I went down to his house, and we spent, like, we did, like, two weeks. And... It was over spread out over the course of you know a little while and uh-huh. um, and he I mean it was night and day you know he had nice microphones yeah. he knew how to like rally me um, he knew like I it would take like just the right amount of like beer <laughs> to get me <laughs> right. like, in this certain mood sure and well you're doing a lot of different voices too totally you're, you're you know I mean crap factory you know and like the, totally. the Steves and shit like yeah. there's like six or seven yeah character and it was us like staying up all night and just having a blast and laughing and you know um and it was the first time i had collaborated really with a person like that in that capacity right right right. um for this kind of material so because then that those shows it's like that's that's what kind of turns into like how you sort of do live shows now in a way, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's one it's man now, show. It's now a one man show. I have a big video screen. Yeah. The, the, the overhead projector slide projector component turned into videos right. that I make. And then I like sing to the tracks and it's more of like a corporate presentation now. Yeah. Um, which is a fun angle to do. Definitely, because you're because but you remain in that one character the whole time now instead it's just of like one character instead of like ten costumes. Yeah. Do you still have those old costumes? Mm-hmm. You have that big like woolly mammoth one, abominable mm-hmm. snowman one, abominable snowman. <laughs> it's in my garage. Nice. Yeah. Um, for one minute, I want to talk about American Sheriff just because that's your most slept on album. Uh-huh. I feel like, uh-huh. and I but you would you sort of like you were selling it. I think you made the album. You're selling on yeah. the road or whatever. Uh-huh. Well, so the concept is what it's like, just basically like a, uh, like from the perspective of like a highway, like a small town sheriff or something like that. Like, well, it was me and this guy Darren. Um, he was one of the guys who ran the imputer mm-hmm. label, and he was um, he had found these like production records uh-huh. and of production music, but like pretty old. Right, and he started fucking with them, and. 
then I was at his house one night and we I, I think I just like improvised something to tape and about like a police officer um, who was also like a farmer or something. like it was like, yeah there's like a country theme right yeah an Americana so, thing yeah it's essentially like two sheriffs from some like backwoods county mm-hmm. who, <laughs> who do like a country rap album <laughs> yes you know but all the songs are about you know police work and farming and animals and things like that it's so, like a very american record you know? yeah it's really silly yeah but there we, was a video for it too right or no, no we never did no. a video no but the album was released on a piece of wood it was a, it was like a plank of of like plywood uh-huh. and then we had these like little silicone nubs and then the cd like sat on that oh hell yeah i think i remember that yeah because yeah, it's like the two eagle head it's sheriffs with like their sheriff hats and yeah shit. yeah and we did a, we did a few shows yeah no so, we did one at the alibi yeah. dj for you yeah um which is a very memorable experience uh-huh. um so then what's the are you doing i mean i know you're you're busy now but do you do are you doing music stuff at all i mean are you doing jp inc material uh, some yeah i mean like i've done some shows this year i did a tour with neil hamburger yeah. a couple months ago and um do you record not as much anymore yeah. i mean the the stuff that i'm doing now has turned into uh a lot more just visual art yeah yeah and i've been working on a book for about a year and a half two years can you talk about it yeah it's i mean it's really just a it's kind of like a it's a coffee table book it's mm-hmm. an art book mm-hmm. but it's sort of the corporate prospectus for this fictional corporation of jp incorporated mm-hmm. and it's all the products and services and it's like a catalog nice um it's really strange um but it's real for me it's really fun so yeah, it's like because I'm touring so much with other people producing their shows. Yeah, that when I'm home, being home is like my vacation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is a very zen way for me to sort of create things. And I'm kind of burnt on making music. So it's like pictures of like parking lots and like complexes and like there's, cubicles. And there's some of that. It's mostly like package design mm-hmm. for fictional products right. or. Um, uh, kind of advertisements for s- generic services, right. and some of it's tied together. Some of it reflects old, uh, even like plesiosaur era stuff, like No Problemo. Yeah. Um, well, they were all the songs were very product driven. Everything's you know? pr- yeah, like a commercial for something. It's like trying to sell something. Yeah. So what were your? What did you? Did you watch a lot of TV? Uh huh. What were like um, as a kid? Ob- yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Right? I mean, every song is like about TV. Uh huh. Um, so what, like sitcoms and stuff? Or? Yeah, I was into sitcoms, game shows, mm-hmm. um, what, yeah, commercials. Like, well, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. What? So what were your, what were your shows like? Say when you were middle school, because we're kind of like the same age. I think we're a couple yeah. of years apart. Yeah. So you know, growing up in the eighties, basically. Yeah, um, I mean, like my sisters and I watched a lot of different strokes. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Three's Company. Those are good themes. Uh, both of those. Both great themes. Um, Silver Spoons. Yeah. Ricky uh, Schroeder. Ricky right. Schroeder. Um, and then as I got a little older, I was 
I was way into the Golden Girls. Yeah. As like a young high schooler or um, I remember like Friday night, it was like Golden Girls followed by Empty Nest. <laughs> Empty Nest, yeah. You know, right. starring Joey Suzu. And um, and then what was the, um, <clears throat> uh, there's another one that was like right around that block of time uh, um, about like the uh, the single ex-husband or the widower. Dear John. Um, yeah, Dear John. Yeah, with Judd Hirsch. Yeah, yeah. I love that one. That was a great show. Um, so what is this? I mean, it wasn't great, but it was like, I, I watched it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was probably just maybe a couple seasons, or maybe it was on for... Like, it was like two seasons. Right. Yeah. So this is like all like NBC, ABC. Just the basics. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I grew up with cable, too. So right. Oh, so did you have HBO back then? We had HBO. Wow, and so big. like my friends would come watch HBO on yeah. the weekends at my house, you know. What was this? I love this HBO show. I can't I always try to. I always remember forget rather the title, but it was it's set in New York. It was like a TV writer in New York. Um, it was an early HBO half an hour comedy. Um, Late at night. It was that that wasn't the name of it, but yeah, no, but it, it yeah. was like yeah, it had like a, it had like adult theme. Dream on, yes, that's what it was. Yeah, love My that. My friend Paul used to come over. We would watch Dream on because you could see boobs. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. It was a comedy that like they kind of worked in some sex. There was like, some sex stuff. Yeah. 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 And like that was a great opening theme with the you know the kid in front of the TV. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I love that show. I would love to be able to see that again. Yeah, it that probably movie. wouldn't hold up, but no, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's like. 1990 or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Early 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I watched so much TV growing up, too. It's like, well, you got, your siblings are older than you. Yeah. Yeah, I have two older sisters. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same for me. I mean, my brother's eight years older than me, so I would. he was already kind of out. And then, so I just spent a lot of time watching TV. I watched a lot of Unsolved Mysteries. I love that show. I like that show, too. I recently, it's like, they kind of re-released the first um like four seasons or something, mm-hmm. the Robert early Robert Stack years, mm-hmm. and like, uh, of course, the theme is like you know impenetrable, like yeah. how effective it is. So good. Oh yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. And uh, but the first like season or two, they're like re- reenacting the the things with like the actual people, mm-hmm. like, uh, and I think it's shot on sixteen too. It's like it's pretty like chilling stuff because mm-hmm. they're like people that have like family members murdered and they're like reenacting the scene but it together. seemed like the i mean it was the first time anybody was doing something like that oh yeah i mean as far as i know or i can remember like a, a reenactment shocking. kind of oh yeah you know where they were talking about what you thought were real life incidences oh for sure yeah yeah um definitely yeah there was a lot to a lot of very influential things on TV. Like, Quantum Leap, did you like that? Did you watch that? Yeah, I liked the theme song. Um, yeah, it was a great theme and opening. Yeah, the it, I liked it. I liked it later. There were, there were some shows that I didn't like as a kid that I wound up liking later. Right. Um, uh, like MASH. I became a big did fan you? of MASH. I, but I didn't like it as a kid. It was so, like, brown and drab. and Definitely. And, Me too. Yeah, I don't like it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So well, so how many smart. seasons? There's like there's what, like twenty. It's there's a lot, but I think I've seen all the episodes. Yeah, it's so good. Well, it's like a really historic show mm-hmm. too. It's like groundbreaking, totally groundbreaking, record breaking. I think for like the finale and right, it was like the most watched thing on TV yeah. ever or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, I gotta go back to Mash. I haven't, I haven't gone it's, back. To it's it. quite beautifully done. Right. Like, I've cried at Mash before. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, it's an American tale. It is. Know? There's it probably is. a reason why it was as popular as it was. Yeah, right? it was a really, it was really, really well done. Yeah. That, uh, that's what I, my opinion. So. Right. <laughs> um, so what's the uh, like? So visually, you're working on visual stuff. So it's really like, is it for? you're helping create the stage show for or lay out the stage show for other artists or what is it for you now that you're working on yeah i mean the last few years um i started i guess about six years ago um that band pinback yeah needed a tour manager right 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 yeah i remember and i started i just like i'll do it I mean, yeah, you'd been on tour enough. You got it. Yeah, you settled I, enough. I thought that I could, yeah, figure it out. And you I advanced all your shows. And yeah, stuff, right? I kind of ran with it, right. and they were dealing with a lot more money and you know gear and logistics than I like, and a, you know buses and things like that. Yeah, than I had ever dealt with. But um, I tried it. I really liked it, and then people that kind of went around like word got around and I started getting all these offers from bands right and I didn't like I, I, I stopped enjoying the band thing like right. I, I, I worked with people I didn't know and I didn't enjoy that sure um, well people start hearing oh you have a good t- tour a good, manager like you yeah know, you can stay on the road totally and I didn't want to do that um, I liked I love touring with pinback because they're like family Right, but um, yeah, dealing with other people—I won't name the bands. But, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, it's not a—it's not a great. I mean, it—it it can be, especially. It depends on the company you're with. But it can be either probably a pleasurable job, sure, or a total pain in the ass. Totally, you know, because there's a lot of work. The, the tour manager is responsible for everything. Yeah, so. and then I, and then I took a little break and I started doing more shows for myself again. Right, and. Then people started calling, um, like Tim and Eric were like, how, you know, and it goes back to like, my thing was never that popular, Mm -hmm. but the right people liked it. Right. And they were, the messaging was essentially, um, we like your show. Can you help us make your, uh, make a crazy show for us? Mm. You know? Or make our show crazier, right? Right. You right. know, in the case of Tim and Eric, cra- sure. crazier and more logistically sound. Yeah. And, um, and then other people started touring, like TV shows, and that mm-hmm. kind of became my niche. Doing um, like the touring sort of comedy TV show. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, then, like Bob's Burgers called, right? And right. I, I started producing those tours, and Eric Andre. Yeah, and um, I've now done stuff for Judd Apatow and great uh, for his stand up, his stand up, but you know, like stuff for HBO and oh, nice. Um, the well, the, the live components for like you know the in promotion for HBO, right, right, stuff. right, and uh, um, and it's good. I mean, I I have a lot of creative input and. Uh, I can. I have the budget to like do stuff that I would do for myself. If, well, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Um, 
if if I had the audience, I would do it for you know. But are you applying some of those like original concepts to what oh, you're doing now? Sure. I mean, the last watching last night's show. I mean, uh, there's the screen is a big part of the show. Yeah. There's a lot of costume changes. Those guys have been doing that the whole their whole time, right? You know, that's I didn't, and and they know what they are doing. Yeah, and they don't. You know, they don't need me to tell them like. Hey, why don't we have a screen and of like course. show content? Right. Um, well, they, some people do need that. Sure. Um, that kind of uh, suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. The my working relationship with Tim and Eric is, um, you know, they really know what they want and what they're doing, and I think as a performer, and then I can give them input as to what works and what maybe doesn't. And they either accept my input or not. Right, right. Um, How much do you and Doug do uh, work together? Because he's obviously controlling a lot on stage too, right? Yeah, Doug is controlling all the all the cues. Yeah, um, and then I'm directing from off stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I do all the lighting cues um, and uh, direct the direct the stage. Yeah, um, and then I play. A, you know. Previous tours, I've played more characters. You have one, though. Show. Well, I mean, I come out. But do you do one voiceover, too, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, I do. Yeah, I do. I do play the voice of Chad, the AEG promoter. Yes. Um, Which, for... You, I, you heard my voice. At, well, absolutely. Yeah. I caught it right away. Yeah. And I told Laura, yeah, that's JP. But, I mean, for some of that work... And I'm also playing keyboards off stage. Are you? Oh, okay, nice. During the band segment. Yeah. But for Chad, the AEG like promoter, talent uh-huh. buyer, or whomever, whatever, whatever's role one, like the image that correlates with that is absolutely hilarious uh-huh. and spot on. Totally. Um, but for someone that works into that in that world, it's very fulfilling to see someone like that be kind of like you know put on. <laughs> on He's called out. Yeah, big time. Yeah. I think it's hilarious, and that that's who the promoter of the show is. Totally. You know? Yeah. And that that's for the whole tour. If I'm not, is that for the? Yeah. So every night you guys have that going? We do that every night. I love it. And we've done that. We did that three years ago. We had Chad from AEG. And then we did a Live Nation tour in Australia. And we had Chad from Live Nation. (laughs) 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 So I've been... I'm the voice of Chad. Yeah. It's good. It's it's spot on. And you're you're kind. It's like you're not like... you know, you could no, completely he's a, destroy it. He's a head. cool guy. Like, he's got oh. his Bluetooth headset, and he's, yeah. like, you know, wearing a suit, and Brooks Brothers, and... Oh, yeah, he's ready to roll. I mean, I'm, I'm sure... He, he's got, like, a VIP section backstage. Yeah, all roped off yeah, with his all, name on a piece of paper yeah. long before he arrives. Yeah. It's totally. Yeah. yeah. It's all access. Prime seating. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Better fucking have that ready, you know, when he gets oh, there. Oh, yeah. Or there's hell to pay. Exactly. If to the TM per, uh, to me, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it works at your him too, so you guys can have that inner dialogue and yes. figure it out. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I love that shit, dude. I love the show, and just to see that you are that you that that there is your involvement is in in, in this sort of uh, um, you know uh, um, tertiary way in a way that's mm-hmm. like it's extra fulfilling for me because I know like the history of all the that stuff and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dope. I mean, I'd love to know a little bit about the other ones, too, because, I mean, the Eric Andre has, like, a completely different kind of live show. It's just more like him running madly around on it's, stage. Shit, right? It's pretty chaotic, or it's seemingly chaotic. Yeah. It's really controlled chaos. Yeah. Um, I'm essentially doing the role of 
like a Doug person mm-hmm. um, with doing all video, audio, uh, offstage characters, and um, then running and uh, lighting cues, um, managing the stage. Is it a lot? Is there a lot of stuff going on? There's a lot. Going I've on. never had a chance to see him play. But yeah, I'm... he destroys his set three times during the course of like an hour. Right. And so we have to travel with three disposable talk show sets. But, I mean, if you're doing a succession of consecutive shows, I mean, what do you travel with, 24 of them? or like? Yeah, you ship pallets yeah. of fake desks. Nice. Yeah. That's fun. Do you set those up? Uh, well, I don't. I have an assistant who builds them. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's... And, but, that, again, it's usually like a party of four or five. With that, it's like the same amount of people that's as with four people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he when I first started working with Eric, it was, um, you know, really all these guys like Bob's Burgers had done a tour that Fox produced. Yeah, Eric Andre did I think one or two tours that Adult Swim produced, mm-hmm. and these were like twelve to fifteen person crews, and wow. nobody's really doing anything, and it was barely happening. You know, right. and it was like more of a mess, and from what I hear, yeah. Yeah, and I can see that. There's too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks, and like nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. Right. And I remember the first show I did with Eric Andre in was it was in Canada, and he walked into the venue to like sound check, and he's like, "I can't believe this is that it's set up and it looks amazing, and <laughs> there's two of you." Right. And he called the agent, and like he's like, "This is it." He's like, "I this is fantastic." Thank you for finding this producer. (laughs) That's amazing. So, right. I mean, it's not that different from just the punk rock style of doing shows. You just got to do it. You got to show up. You got to be, you got to like set your shit up. Yeah. Load in, set up, you know, advance the show and, uh, and run it. And, uh, even with last night, it's not a big crew of people. I mean, it's, it's six people, including a merch person, right? Exactly. So six people with, Tim and Eric, Doug Pound, you, and there's another fellow. And yeah, Mikey, um, and merch guy, Tony. Yeah. So. I mean, and for it to be in theaters, you know, and it's like, this is like, you have another about a month to do? Yeah, we have like 25 shows left. And it just started though, right? Yeah. A couple shows. This is our first week. Yeah, that's amazing. So. How does it feel for you? Um, It's all right. Yeah? Yeah. It's rolling, I mean, starting over. It's starting rolling. up good. No, like the shows have been fantastic. Yes. Everybody's fun to be around. Yeah. And um, I always feel very triumphant leaving New York City. Oh, yeah. I, I understand that feeling. Um, I, I love being here, but I also, um, it's hard when you have responsibility. Yeah. And you have like a big van or a bus or a fucking semi to deal with in Midtown Manhattan. Are you guys in a in a bus for this? No, we're in a sprinter. Right. So and flying around. Yeah. So, so that is that has its own set of challenges yeah. too. You know, a bus you'd be parked out in New Jersey somewhere and someone come and get you or whatever. Yep. Here it's like yeah, and you're driving. Yeah. 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 That's so. That's it's a, tricky. It's a lot, but it's uh, you know once we. Once you get the van parked, and we're here for three days, yeah, like I can kind of settle in. Um, yeah, as much as you can settle you in can. Times Square. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. we're in, in a high-rise hotel in Times Square <laughs> behind the theater. Yeah. It's like pretty silly. Yeah. 
but you're making it work, and I love the show. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm glad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I know a lot of hard work went into it. Um, yeah, those guys work their asses off. Yeah, and you can tell. And it's and they don't stop. Like if they're not making a TV show, they're doing a book. If they're not doing a book, they're, you know, working on individual projects or. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. For sure. I'm There's... proud that everyone is that I am even in the same conversation as people as prolific and um, with such attention to detail as like Greg Turkington or yeah. Tim or Eric Andre, like any of these people, Doug, like they're all like at the top of their game as far as being fucking creative individuals. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Have inspired a lot of people under them. They've inspired me. I have maybe inspired them and I am, yeah, just grateful to be in the mix of it all. Nice. So I'm grateful to talk to you. Huh? And I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. I think the last time I saw you, if I'm not mistaken, was, was that deep when you played with Devo. You opened for Devo. Maybe there was a time. I think after. we've seen each other since then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In here in New York somewhere. Yeah. Unfortunately, not back in California, which is where I'd like to I know. hang out next you, time. Yeah. You should be living in California. <laughs> I know. I, I I've, I've told you that before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much, dude. I appreciate your time and um, all the best with these tours and and uh, Thank the you. book. Thank you. And I loved you in uh, entertainment. Oh, <laughs> my prison. That was another thing where my I was with my city. girlfriend. I was like, look, 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 there he is. And then that's funny. What, I saw your hair. Your my hair is and my, the side my, of your face was yeah, there. yeah. Um, well, cool, man. Thank you again, and thank yeah, you. Hope to see you soon. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Thank you very much to JP. Thanks so much for being a guest on the house list. I appreciate you guys for listening to this. I'm going to come with another new episode very soon. I think next week we're going to do two. I might even drop uh, another one before, before next week. You never know. I got a lot. I just came from California. I recorded a bunch of different conversations out there with a range of people on music and film and but i'm back in new york and we recorded this in new york not that long ago when tim and eric passed right through town catch them on tour see the tour dates at tim and and you can find jp inc um as we mentioned playing the role of scott from aeg which is hilarious uh to me i found particular joy in that betrayal and it was quite accurate in fact and uh, listen, if you if this is your very first time tuning in, scroll back. There's a bunch of different kinds of conversations, both with people behind the scenes in music as well as artists themselves, a range of genre, and so forth. So if you're listening in iTunes, just hit that subscribe button. Otherwise, yeah, please get the word out. I appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter at HouselessPod. And I'll leave you at that. But before I go, I'm going to leave you with, an, uh, with a song. Uh, from JP's Comedy Central album from uh, 2009 if I'm not mistaken an album of distinction and this is uh, Heels and Hoops uh, one of my favorite joints off that produced by uh, JP Incorporated it's on iTunes you can find it check it out otherwise if you can go to jpinc.tv that's jpinc.tv for any updates on tour dates catch him live if you can i'm telling you it's awesome and entertaining he's a brilliant comedic mind catch him uh when you can he often tours with neil hamburger too which is an incredible uh, pairing 
and uh, I love the, the 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 family that JP is a part of, from Neil Hamburger, Tim Heidecker, and Tim and Eric, and uh, on and on, DJ Doug Bound. Uh, all hilarious and very uh, amazing, unique voices in comedy that should be paid attention to, and should uh, you should spread the word if if you're not familiar with them. So anyway, check those check them out, and especially my man JP Inc. Please you soar. Thank you so much for your time. Let's uh, go into this really quickly, and I'll see you guys next episode. Built the shrine to Billy.